This call may be recorded or transcribed. Hi, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Hello? Quite next. Hi, Ernie. Can you, hi, can you hear me now? Yeah, I was having a little echo earlier. Can you, are we good? I think so. Does this work or is this worse? Uh, well, it seems like it's okay. Okay. I'm, at the, I'm in the car driver. You got a dog in the back? Yeah, I got the, I'm walking the dog. Uh, saw another dog, which he is he is compelled to vocalize his frustrations. You're a little muffled. Yeah. Let me just try holding the phone up and see how that works. This is better. Yeah, that's okay. I can hear that. Ah, so how are you doing? Um, I've some some kind of dark emotion. I don't know if depressed is the word. Um, okay. I, uh, um, I just feel sick about uh, uh, the more the more I think about the situation and the injustice and uh, mm. what what. So the the way the trust was set up, there were. Uh, there was constant threat of bankruptcy, and so we've done, you know, everything we could to avoid bankruptcy. And through the judge's decision, I think it's going to end up bankrupting the trust and uh, disinheriting everybody, except for the few, my few siblings who have gotten, you know, the winner's seat in the situation. Wow. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> uh, I... Yeah. I've got kind of a long shot possibility I could pursue, but uh, Jackie's feeling like the Lord is telling us to walk away and let go of it and leave it in his hands. And he's certainly able, you know, I can't write all the injustices in the world. Um, and we have much more productive things to do with our time than fight a judge who uh, seems inclined to take a superficial, fraudulent, representation yeah yeah the word that comes to mind is grievous yeah which is i think a star wars character but general grievous oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah but the you know the the so grief is uh, um yeah so i think understanding that emotion is actually worthwhile because like because uh, I think there's a lot of that because the, the thing that is interesting is right this is a what is the thing I had feared has come upon me right that's the uh-huh. line Job used is that yep. you've seen the situation that was in an unstable uh, unhealthy situation right. and you were trying to help it survive and so on the one hand, to like you know, having gone through all this agony and all this sweat and all this frustration, and then to have it, you know, still fail, it uh, kind of almost feels like it invalidates all the effort you put into trying to save it. Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah. 
you know? And, and, and I can't help but wonder, were some of the actions you took to try to save it and keep it alive, some of the accusations made against you? Yeah. So it's uh, like, we, uh, huh? <laughs> yeah. That seems like doubly unfair, right? Right. Yeah. And it, in fact, it may even feel like the thing that they accuse you of doing, which is, you know, uh, destabilizing the trust for your own personal benefit, is actually a more accurate description of what they seem to be doing. Yeah, that's uh, certainly my perception of it. Yeah. Yeah, that is a deep sick feeling. Yeah. To have sacrifice layered on with failure, layered on with injustice. Yeah. And I you know, we by email we've been discussing the uh concept that uh evil flourishes when uh, people don't oppose it. Good people do nothing, yeah. Yeah, and uh, so the question of, you know, should we just walk away or should we try to correct the record um, haunts me. I don't I don't feel peace about uh, just leaving things as they are, but I also don't feel peace about disagreeing with my wife and trying to do something that she's not supportive of. And uh, so... I don't feel peace about anything at the moment. Oh wow! So you've got uh, so layered on top of that is is um, a moral dilemma. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that is a wow. That is perversely exciting for me, Robbie. <laughs> Great. Be, uh, because it is. Yeah. Yeah, because like it's kind of where I'm at with DBJ. Is that I feel like, you know, there's all these things we've done to get us here, and yet it feels like I don't know where we go next. Uh And one of the things that I've been feeling uh, for the last week or so is that I feel like we've kind of reached a local minima or local maxima, however you want to look at it. Uh Like during the seven weeks of DBJ, you and I came up with a version of DBJ that we both kind of felt comfortable with. Right. It wasn't exactly what we thought we would do at first, but it seemed like this works for us, this works for each other, this works for the people here, and we're kind of getting the sort of results and responses we were hoping for. Right. So maybe that's, you know, good enough, and then we can scale. But as we've been iterating on this the last few times, I guess twice uh, directly, uh, you know, for us, you know, I feel like, and this may be the Lord saying it to me, maybe not, is that, you know, um, the reason we're not scaling yet is not just because you and I have some of our own family issues to work through, but also because the thing we are doing is not yet ready to scale. It's not yet at the place where we can give it to other people and have them replicate it and achieve the results that God wants it to have. So I'm kind of in this reset moment of saying, okay, um, um there's something um that I have built uh that is and this has only been a you know a year and a bit for me, so it's not like this uh but the, you know so the but DBJ was the thing was the culmination of this year of the great reset. And right. 
it's like, okay, we're done. It's like, oh crap, now we're not. Uh-huh. And that's hard. Um, yeah. And the more you've invested in something, the more you suffered for it, the harder it is. But right. it was interesting. Uh, when I had my first job after Apple, we had a very dysfunctional product marketing organization. And I was trying to explain to them why I thought Apple worked and what ideas we could bring over that would be relevant. And uh-huh. one of Steve Jobs, like Steve was not a great designer, but he uh-huh. had extraordinary taste. And the way that uh-huh. taste was manifested is that a team of engineers would work for a month or a year or you know, sometimes a couple of years on something and bring it and pitch it to Steve. And Steve would look and say, nope, not good enough. Uh-huh. And the thing that was extraordinary that I didn't realize at the time is that Steve never gave people any specific feedback about what to change. Uh-huh. And initially I thought that was really cruel until uh-huh. I found a, a manager who would say, oh, well, this is what's wrong. And then the team uh-huh. goes back and tries to figure out what is in the manager's head so they can get uh-huh. it past him. Whereas at right. Apple, the team would have to go back and dig dig deep within themselves and say, how can we do better? How do Uh we have to level up? And that was actually the last word Steve left us at his funeral service when Johnny Ive gave the eulogy. He said, never Uh ask yourself, what would Steve do? do. Ask yourself, what is the right thing to do? Uh And that is a profound difference. Yeah. And in some ways, you know, it, it, it's even, uh, you know, I often feel like even asking what would Jesus do might be a cop-out. Yeah. Because Jesus was in a very specific context, right? Well, he would, like, anger the Pharisees and get crucified. It's like, well, okay, so that's not what I'm trying to do here. So what is what is the thing to do that would most glorify God, if you will? Right. To get right. to another thread that we've been discussing. And I kind of feel like we're at this place where I'm asking, like, okay, I've done everything I know to do in Uh DBJ, in my marriage, uh, in these other contexts. And it's like, I don't know what to do next. Mm -hmm. And and in your life, I can look and say, oh, he's reached the end of himself. I can be excited about that. It's much harder to be excited about that in my own life. But, uh, but, but, you know, I think we both, at least intellectually, can think that, yeah, it is a good thing to reach the end of ourselves where we find ourselves with no good options, because right. that's where God has to show up. Yep. And one of the things that happens in extremists is that there is this grieving process where there's things that you thought you could assume, you could trust and rely upon, uh, that you right. just took as givens that suddenly you have to lay on the altar and say, well, maybe I don't get to take this with me. Maybe it's yeah. not in itself worth all this sacrifice, then what is? Yeah. And, you know, historically from what I have seen is that where good ideas go wrong is when people get to that point and they either run away or they double down on what got them here. Uh-huh. And in both cases, it ends badly. Yeah. And the the hard question, and my dad uh, came up with this phrase himself, is that like, it seems like there has to be a third way. 
Mm. And we have to find that third way. Uh-huh. And uh, that's where I'm at this week. <laughs> and it, it is perversely encouraging to feel like you're there too. Yeah. Well, once once this is once I'm through the grief here, I expect to have and whatever further tasks we have related, I expect to have a lot more energy for other things like DBJ. But uh, right now, it's just um, an opportunity to be in the Lord's presence and to invite Him to uh, speak or to do whatever He'd like to do. Well, in many ways, I feel like this is, in fact, the thing that you and I do not yet have a shared experience of that is, in fact, a aspect of being discipled or disciplined by Jesus. Uh-huh. And um, once we understand or comprehend or at least experience that, then you and I can then point to and say, okay, that, that is the thing that you and I did not know how to do and did not know how to talk about, that in order to navigate this crisis, we will have to see Jesus teach us. And then that will become at least the next iteration of whatever it is we do next, whether it's DBJ or something else. Right. So, good. This, this, this is the work. This is the real work, right? Yeah. When yeah. we are at the end of ourselves and are left with nothing but Jesus. Because all the principles, right, right, that we've hewed to, and uh, which I think I prefer the term heuristics now, uh-huh. right, is that those, like, being in unity with your wife, that's a useful heuristic. You know, telling the truth, that's a heuristic. Uh, fulfilling yeah. the responsibilities upon you, those are heuristics. And those are right. all good and valuable heuristics, but it is dangerous right. to make them first principles. Okay. Yep. And um, uh, this is what um, my favorite author Ben Horowitz says: is the hard thing about hard things hmm. is that the real test of character, the real crises, the real places where you need a human being to make a decision rather than just relying on an algorithm is precisely things like this where everything goes sideways and there's no like obvious piece of advice. Well, well, just do this. And um, because uh, it's all, uh, it all, at least it seems like a, a murky mix of slightly lesser evils. Right. The only uh, touchstone that I keep coming back to is the cross of Christ. And the sense that there is something about the cross of Christ that is the only way forward through these uh, entangled mix of impossibilities. But that's just kind of an arbitrary label, if you will it doesn't necessarily have enough content to be useful (laughs) or operational. Yeah. I mean, I guess one, um, one heuristic that is useful in context like this 
is that when the world, when the external world uh, appears to be contradictory and irrational and unreliable, mm-hmm. um, you know, where you don't know who you can trust or what you can trust, it is often a useful practice to spend time. Um, well, one of the common failure modes is that we get caught up in uh, subconscious um, compulsions and aversions. Part of you feels like I have to do this or I can't do this uh-huh. or I can't let this happen or whatever. Uh, like I was yeah. telling my kids, we came back from church. I need you to help me pick up stuff, take stuff from the car home. And my son goes, you know, need is a strong word. Uh-huh. Right. You know, and I say like, you know, that's actually fair is that, you know, we use the word need to kind of create this sort of compulsion on people or on Uh ourselves. It's like, well, there is no other option. You must do this. But I always tell, told my kids is like, when they say, I need this, well, need is always an instrumental word. There is no absolute need. I need this to what, you know, I need you to take stuff from the car so I can do this. So I don't have to take multiple trips or I don't like overload myself and risk dropping things. And it's like, okay, well, then it, beca- it goes from being a sort of fixed constant to a variable constraint, uh-huh. you know, and, it, you know, and that there's some flex there. Um, and then another uh, heuristic I found useful in these times of irreconcilable uh, op- uh, opposites is this um, I think it's the, the Keegan ladder. I may have talked to you about this before, Keegan's uh, maturity model. I don't recall that. The question is, how, what, how do we identify? Uh, so the, the, the question he asked, well, you're familiar with Piaget's model of childhood development, how we no. form concepts and we form, uh, okay, so there's, there's various theories of development. Uh-huh. And that, like, you know, what a ch- you know a ch- so, uh, first, you know, a child, and so in, in the, the Keegan model, like first we just have perceptions. You know, we are what we feel. Uh-huh. Um, or we are what we, first we experience, and then we have, well, this layer up is we have perceptions. Another layer up we have wants. Another layer up we have values. And as children grow, you know, it's like, you know, for a child, you know, if they want a toy now and they don't get that, that is an existential crisis. Right. Right. But then when you go, you can say, okay, child, you, know, you want this thing, write it down, we'll mail it to Santa, and you'll get it later, right? They can distance themselves from the wanting. They can see that a want is a thing they have rather than a thing they are. Right. Right? And then the idea is that as you go up the ladder of Kagan is you start thinking in terms of less than wants, and then you start thinking in terms of relationships. Yep. Right? Is that you define yourself in relationship? Well, you know, I know you want that toy, but if you take it away from Billy, Billy will be upset and won't play with you anymore. So let's define your, your identity in terms of your relationship and you subordinate your wants to the relationship. Right. And then you, you, something you are to something you have. And then similarly with feelings, right? I am angry versus I have a feeling of anger. One of the reasons we do the, the Gary um, apples of gold thing right, is to talk about mm-hmm. our feelings and take them from a thing that sort of subconsciously controls us or possesses us to a thing that we possess and have. And then he says in the latter, he goes from, so after relationships is values, as we start thinking, well, not, we're not defined by our relationships, we're defined by our values. 
And then things get murky after that uh, because we're like 99% of the population never gets past even values. And maybe only a third of the population gets there. Um, uh-huh. And we can be different in different areas of our lives. Uh, but I think somewhere after that is this concept of identity or authoring. It's like, well, this is my identity. And given this identity, these are my values. Like as a father, for example, it's not so much my um, um, the, the relationships or even the role. It is the values I have that make me make certain choices and that say, you know, my values are not serving this identity I have or this role I have, and therefore I will shift my values because values are a thing I have, not the thing that defines me. Right. And then there's higher levels above that, but there's there's a state somewhere, which I think is just sort of pure. At the at the the Eastern world is that the, the idea that the ultimate state is just pure being, which is sort of a state of nothingness or nirvana or whatever. But I've become convinced that the Christian worldview is that God is in a state of pure becoming. He encompasses all of reality with all of its change and mutation and pain and suffering. And that we are partnering with him to become the city of God. And that there is something that transcends mere values or even mere identity. That is uh, to, to, to be in the presence of God in totality with the corruption and redemption of this world. And so uh, it's a, um, again, it's sort of a different version of mindfulness, right? That's kind of the general bucket of this is that, okay, when you feel like you are trapped by circumstances is the idea that, well, all those things that make you feel trapped are in some sense illusions, Mm-hmm. And that they're not absolute reality. Only God himself is absolute reality. And yeah. that absolute reality is only uh, accessed through the cross of Christ or apprehended through the cross of Christ. And so there's something there that I have found in these crises that is useful heuristics to give me some sense of like, okay, there's things I can do to um, gain perspective and shift my perspective but I don't really have a recommended recommended practice yet. Um, um, and but you know I've run into this problem before, and it's like yeah, that's kind of the thing that I feel like the current version of DBJ is missing, is that it's been good at teeing up these problems. Uh-huh. Uh, I had a great conversation with my father-in-law on Tuesday that was teed up by what we went through in DBJ, but my existing mental frameworks and practices were not terribly useful in helping uh, push through that to the next level. Uh-huh. And so that's that's where I'm at. It sounds like it might be where you're at, in which case, yay, God, we are being set up for a new layer of learning. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, God is good. And uh, I'm confident that good things will somehow come out of this. Um, mm-hmm. I feel unresolved. I still feel grief. Uh, and, mm. uh, I I think I'm I'm looking for. I just drove home from service, and I'm uh, looking forward to going in and connecting with Jackie and seeing where she is and processing this and processing it together. So that's uh, yeah. 
yeah. Um, let me just pray for you and let you get on with your day and your, your processing. God, I just thank you for Robbie. I thank you that he has devoted his life and his ministry and his family to you. And that is the one thing, Lord, that I know um, is good, is that you are worthy of all sacrifice and all devotion. And uh, I also know that it's really hard uh, to do that. And that even when we think we've done it, there's always pieces and shards that um, that we hold on to subconsciously or consciously. And I thank you, Lord, that you love Robbie so much that you want all of him to experience all of you and that you are working these circumstances and trials and injustices um, as you promised in Romans 8, that uh, that all things work together for those who are called to go into his purpose. And his purpose is to manifest the image of Christ in all of us. And that you will use this crisis to um, form Christ in Robbie in a way that equips him to form Christ in others. And that you are working not just in Robbie's life, but in his wife and in his extended family, uh, a great work of redemption. And I declare that purely on faith. I have no idea how to get there from here or what it will cost, what Robbie will have to learn or unlearn, uh, give or receive. Uh, but Lord, I, I just declare that his heart is to receive all of you that you want to give him and to share all of you that you assign him to share with others. And so I just uh, declare that uh, and agree with him for you to make the adjustments and assignments necessary. Um, and I pray that he would have grace to sit with the grief exactly as long as is necessary and not rush ahead of you or lag behind you, but to just know um, when to wait and when to act and to be at peace with the discomfort and lack of peace. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Ray. Welcome. Uh, is something? Sorry? Oh, I just said we'll talk again soon. Anybody else? Sorry, I didn't hear that sentence. Oh, I just said we'll talk again soon. Yeah. Is this okay to put on the podcast feed, or do you want to wait a bit and see? Oh, no, that's all right. That's a, yeah, just know. to keep our our desperate audience fed. Yeah. Anyone actually ever listens to this, but... Uh, I think I'll go with Grievous as the title, and we will see uh, what comes next. All right? All right. Bless you, man. Thanks. God bless you. Bye-bye.